trying to get back to the basics of great products. Power comes from sharing information. I try to convince people to slow down. Free. Yeah. Open. This is the Soak Dice Podcast. Is there a common denominator behind Smartly.io's sale of a majority stake to Providence Equity Partners, SoftBank's acquisition and sale of its stakes in Supercell, and Telia's investment in Spotify? Yes, there is, and it's called Hannes Nelman, and they are today's episode's sponsor. Hannes Nelman is a Nordic law firm proud to carry the responsibility entrusted to it by these and other clients in pivotal tech-driven transactions. Regardless of the size of a project, Hannes Nelman's dedication and world-class combinations of skills and experience remain the same. The firm advises leading and aspiring international and local corporations and investors across all business sectors. Hannes Nelman has the expertise and capacity to handle any demanding local or cross-border matters in which assets are being developed, protected, financed, acquired or under dispute. So go check Hannes Nelman out from the link in the bio. Thanks again for being aboard. Now, let's go to the episode. All right, hello everyone. Welcome back to a new episode of Soaked by Slush Podcast. My name is William von der Palen and Isaac Rautio is still in Copenhagen. Hi, Isaac. Hi, William. Nice to meet you again. Yeah, it's super nice to be here. And I think uh, our cool factor of our guest list just rose to a new level with with today's guest. So we have the founder of Wikipedia, Jimmy Wales, uh, as a guest today. Welcome to the show. Great. Thanks for having me. Yeah, it's Great it's, honor uh, to have you. Very big honor. We thought we could start off, uh, you know, just by a simple question to to see how involved you still are with uh, Wikipedia today and what, what uh, the daily life at Wikipedia looks like. Uh, yeah. Mm. Yeah, no, I'm still very involved. I am uh, active in the community. I am on the board of directors, um, but I don't. Uh, I don't work at the Wikimedia Foundation. So I set up the Wikimedia Foundation to own and operate uh, Wikipedia, but I don't have a job there, um, which is nice for me. I get to be a member of the community and you know representative on the board and all of that. So uh, it's quite good. Yeah. Do you edit articles your, yourself still? Uh, are you still looking into yeah. it? I do not not uh, not very much, um, but I do occasionally make a small correction here or there, um, and uh, if I see anything that needs help, I try and jump in and help. But mostly, I'm just talking in the community about policy, editorial policy, quality control, uh, being thoughtful about how we do things, uh, things like that. That's an interesting story. It's been a, it's been many years uh, from the inception of Wikipedia until now, and and the policy and the philosophy behind it is a big part of of, of Wikipedia and always has been. Uh, let's go back uh, to the starting years. Uh, can you speak a bit on the founding ideas and just the principles on which you built Wikipedia and why? Sure. Yeah. I mean, in the in the early days uh, before Wikipedia, I had a project called Newpedia. Uh, which was the same vision, a free encyclopedia. Um, but I didn't really know how to build it. I uh, didn't know how to create a free encyclopedia. So we just started in, uh, uh, testing and trying things. So the first version uh, was called Newpedia. And I hired a PhD in philosophy to help organize it. And we created a, a seven-stage review process to get anything published. Um, and I knew it was going to fail when I decided I was frustrated with how slow the progress was. So I said, look, I'll, I'll write an article myself. 
Um, and it was very intimidating because they were going to take my uh, biography and send it to the most prestigious professors they could find to review it. And it was, uh, it was a pretty scary process. And I realized this, this isn't fun. Nobody's going to want to do this if it isn't fun. So no wonder we're not getting much work done. Uh, and so then we, you know, back then nobody said the word pivot, but we pivoted, um, and switched to a wiki model, which, uh, one of my employees had shown me. Uh, and I said, great, let's, let's try that. So we did. Yeah, I listened to an episode where of, of Masters of Scale where you you talked to Reid Hoffman about about this and uh, mm. about finding basically product value fit and not just a product market fit and then taking off from from there. Um, and and speaking on that, you've had a pretty interesting story with Wikipedia as a whole. You have a very maybe contradictory business model if you look at most tech companies today, mm. and you've also succeeded. Uh, despite not taking any VC money, but you argued, I've heard a few podcasts with you where you argued that these very things, not monetizing, not taking VC money are actually the uh, the reasons why you you did succeed in the end with Wikipedia. Yeah, I think that's that's part of the reason. But of course, nobody knows for sure. History is like that. <laughs> you make decisions and you don't get to find out what was down the other branch. But uh, Fandom, which is used to be called Wikia, which is uh, advertising supported wiki communities on hundreds of thousands of topics. It's something like the number 20 website on the internet has been incredibly successful, still growing very quickly today. Uh, very strong revenue, um, you know, so uh, who knows? Maybe Wikipedia could have followed that model, but I'm, I'm happy that it didn't, uh, simply because of what it's become in our culture and, and what's meaningful. And also, I, I'm a big believer that uh, in many ways, you, your, your business model drives your organization in a particular direction. Um, and having the uh, business model of just getting people to donate money um, has been very powerful, like keeping us uh, very pure and on, on our mission. Um, and we don't have all the problems that people are having in social media around uh, algorithms maybe not being healthy for the world because they're driving people to be addicted and stay on the website as long as possible and seeing as many ads as possible, um, where we don't even think about things like that. We just sort of, uh, you know, it's it's what the community writes is what, what there is to read and you can come and read it. Do you think it's a model that could have been replicated? And it's a big conversation how this whole monetization model has evolved in the internet economy. Like we we speak that data is the new new uh, raw material, or the new sort of basic resource like oil in the modern economy, kind of. Do you see that the Wikipedia model could have had a wider uh, application? I know it's, it's a wiki model, but the sort of mm. a different way of monetizing it's kind of... Well, I do. And, and, you know, when you look around for uh, things that are similar, it's, uh, you know, you can look at um, open source software, but the, the business model there is actually quite different. Um, in general, that's about, uh, well, lots of different kind of sub business models around it, but it's not about people donating money. That's a, a very minor piece of the whole puzzle. Um, it, I was on the board of the Guardian newspaper here in the UK, and they have a, a similar model. Now, they do have ads, but they, they've decided not to have a paywall, and they just ask people to please donate to support, and they've been very successful with that. So that's a similar type of model. And then today I'm trying uh, the same type of model with uh, my pilot project social network, WT.social, which is uh, uh, Wiki Tribune Social, where there's no paywall and there's uh, uh, no advertising, and so people just pay if they want to. 
Uh, and it's working reasonably well. Uh, you know, we've got a long way to go. It's still a pilot project. There's a lot of the product still has a lot of development that needs to happen. And, you know, a lot of we're learning as we go, uh, building something new. But, um, you know, people are people are optimistic and they're, they're supporting and they're saying, OK, yeah, this is worth worth a try anyway. Yeah. I think we definitely want to get into that at the at the end of the podcast. I, I read about that Great. too, and it sounded really really interesting. But do you think mm-hmm. um, do you think the monetization models on the web will will change? And do you think there would be a bigger benefit, not just a need or not the possibility, but a bigger benefit from having also a wider spread of not just algorithm tied, advertisement tied business models on the web? Yeah, and I, I think we're already seeing that change. I mean, we're we're seeing. Uh, for example, around journalism, we're seeing the the newfound kind of resurgence of the idea of subscriptions. Uh, people are paying uh, for subscriptions, and some publications are being very, very successful with that model, which I think is a fantastic thing because it's it's having a a, a pure advertising business model uh, for journalism has always been very problematic because it just drives you to chase clicks and to sort of go for the lowest common denominator, the cheapest content that drives eyeballs, um, most of which is harmless, but as we're finding out, sometimes uh, it's disinformation that drives eyeballs and uh, that's not healthy. Whereas with paid you know, subscriptions, that's where you can get a different kind of quality and a different set of incentives for the news organization to really think about what their readers need and are willing to pay for. Yeah, you're actually the customer and not the sort of uh, pseudo customer. Yes. Exactly. Yes, yeah. Yes, exactly. But, yeah. But isn't there the other side then? Uh, I mean, as the internet is becoming more commercialized uh, and it's sort of this sort of new mainstreamization, I, maybe, I just made up that word, but the mainstreamization, commercial, commercialization of the internet uh, colliding with this culture of, of, of what the internet was built upon, this sort of open source, maybe free, I mean, democrat, democratization of knowledge and free information, no paywalls. How do you see this? Uh, do, you, do you think about this clash ever? How do you see it on folding and how do you well, see the well i do made? and yeah I, I do and in fact one of the one of the things that when i when i'm active um politically around defending the open internet and and thinking about the the legal structures and the and the 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 rules that we should have one of the things i'm really concerned about is well-meaning uh regulators who don't actually understand the internet very well and who definitely don't understand business strategy and things like that very well because you can you can pass some sort of a regulation which is virtually impossible for a small website to comply with uh, that Facebook for example can afford to comply with because they're already dominant and and they get a huge share of the ad revenue and so forth um, you know one of the the examples that I give of that is recently um, well we've had this huge fight over the the European copyright directive Uh, and now we're in a situation where it did pass and it's it's going to be implemented, although in a country-by-country country manner. And a great example is given is a, is a fan website for uh, Lord of the Rings who were really concerned about it. And the reason is their users may be posting content that's copyrighted uh, and they need the safe harbor to be able to deal with that. They need some sort of uh, an arrangement that works. They've been around for more than three years, and that's one of the rules. And so they are regulated exactly the same way as Facebook, and they're legally liable for potentially huge damages for something that one of their user does. And they're saying, you know what? Actually, 
this is a hobby, right? It's a commercial website in a sense. We we have a few ads on, but there's nobody's making a living out of it, right? It's just it's a side project. And frankly, we could just move all of this onto a big Facebook group, and maybe we'll have to do that. Well, that's not the outcome anybody wants, right? That's that's not really empowering competition and innovation and so on. So I think we have to be very very careful when we're thinking about internet policy to not just go, oh, here's a problem. Here's a random idea for a law to solve it. Oh, it's solved. No, many, many side impacts and problems that can arise. So, how much do you see since Wikipedia was founded almost two decades ago? It seems it seems it's been around yeah. forever in a way. It also seems very new as an idea in in many ways as well. Uh, <laughs> but how how much have yeah. the fundamentals of building a tech business, building a internet business, changed in in two decades, or have they changed? I mean, they they haven't. They haven't. I mean, one of the things that that somebody said to me once, and I I I just sort of nodded along. And I said, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then later, I said, oh, you know what? Actually, I think that's really wrong. So somebody said, oh, well, yeah. In the early days with Wikipedia, you were able to start because everything was wide open, and you just had to get a couple of servers and, and put it up. And now that would take such huge infrastructure costs and all that. And I said, mm, yeah, yeah, yeah. Of course, in the early days, of course. Then I thought, you know what? That's actually completely false. Like it is cheaper than ever to start a new project um, and easier than ever using AWS of course is quite popular but DigitalOcean you know there's a lot of there's a lot of great uh, service providers out there that you can just buy just the incremental sort of services that you need in the cloud for very very cheap and and so for entrepreneurs with with clever ideas that could become popular in in some ways it's easier than ever I mean I had to physically buy servers and go and I Put them in the racks myself, you know, and hooked up all the Ethernet cables. Like that was the level of actual work that we had to do back then. Now you wouldn't. You just, you know, spin up a couple of servers on on AWS, and, and you're off to the races. So, I think we still have that opportunity uh, to to do something. And because the internet is so global, there's still the opportunity to to make something and scale it very very quickly. Um, and you know, obviously that often does take capital and so on and so forth. But I think it's still a very entrepreneurial time. And, uh, you know, maybe someday it won't be. Maybe we'll have such regulations that nobody can afford to start a new internet business because you can't afford to comply with all the regulations. But hopefully not. Yeah, I know, exactly. I, I get also a bit... I, I don't understand people who said it was so much easier before. Maybe it just seems that way because the, the ideas are easy to <laughs> to understand in <laughs> retrospect. But I mean, yeah, as mm. you said, the world is opening up and there's so many things you can do and and you have more opportunities than ever. So it, it shouldn't really be a problem for... Now is yeah, the time, sure. as many entrepreneurs agree with you, now is the time, if, if ever, to, to do something. Um, yeah, yeah. Now, my, my belief is that now is always the time because <laughs> uh, I'd say that the, the biggest uh, problem that a lot of want-to-be entrepreneurs have is overthinking and waiting and, and imagining that you've got to come up with the perfect idea and have all the problems solved before you start. It doesn't work that way. You just you have to just get going and, and bumble through as best you can and uh, be ready to adapt uh, and, and change when necessary. Would you do anything differently if you founded Wikipedia today? Um, I mean, it's a, it's a very, very hard question. Um, I, I always say I'm a pathological optimist, so I always think everything's going to be fine, and I, I think all the decisions were fine. Uh, it's, it's hard because a decision that you made that was the best decision given the context of knowledge that you had yeah. is a decision that 
after the fact, you can't really regret it because you said, well, that's what I thought because that's what I knew. And this is the information I had. And it was a good decision given that. But now I know more and I realize I could have done it differently. So, for example, the, the whole launching of Newpedia and, and wasting two years on that and then then switching to the wiki model, I could have done Newpedia two years earlier. I mean, I'm sorry, Wikipedia two years earlier because the technology, even wikis already existed and all of that. And so... Um, you know, in one sense, I said, well, I could have done it two years earlier, but I mean, how would I know that? I, I had to do it the wrong way first so that I could learn some things and, and begin to, to know how to do it the right way. Yeah. yeah, I understand that philosophy quite well. But um, And you've been asked this question a few times, but uh, and, and as you mm. said, it, it was quite um, value-based, the decision, and, and it was probably uh quite pivotal for the success as you said you, there's no way of knowing but not monetizing the the wikipedia mm. uh, infrastructure and, and business in in a way similar to similar mm. to facebook or google do you ever regret that decision uh, like no no i mean it's great i mean i you know i always say uh, people journalists love to ask me how does it feel to not be a billionaire and i always <laughs> say i don't know how does it feel to you i think you're probably not a billionaire either right uh, it's kind of all right um <laughs> i think uh I mean, the one interview where I, I wasn't asked that when I did the the, uh, the Reed Hoffman podcast, if he had said, how does it feel not being a billionaire? I could have said, well, how does it feel not? Oh, sorry, never mind. You are a billionaire. So. <laughs> but uh, no, but, it, you know, it's, um, I mean, for me, what's what's interesting to me is like my life is super duper interesting. Um, and I can see, I can speak to almost anyone in the world I want to. You know, I just can get on the phone and talk to, to anyone and that's not a problem. Uh, I travel, well, I used to travel before coronavirus, but now I'm just stuck at home like everybody else. Um, and, uh, you know, and I get the, the opportunity to do interesting things with technology and, and, and I'm always, I'm always creating something new, which is what I enjoy doing. Uh, and so, yeah, it's, it's all great. What about in terms of uh, Wikipedia and not as much uh, the mm. success you would have garnered from the monetization model? Do you think, it, mm. do, do you ever go back? We just heard your philosophy about looking back and about hindsight, mm. which mm. which is great. But do you ever think that there are some interesting counterfactuals uh, that you consider in terms of the different ways in which Wikipedia could have been constructed or should be in the future um, maybe? Not, not so much. I mean, I, I think... Um, You know, there's a lot, it, it's a very complicated beast, uh, Wikipedia. Yeah. And so there's lots of things, but the core ideas uh, have proven to be sound and it's working quite well and, and so on. So, uh, yeah, not so much. I mean, I think um, when we think about the future, for me, what what is fundamental for Wikipedia, like the most important thing is what we call community health, right? Are people enjoying the work? Is it an environment that's trustworthy, that's trusting, that's healthy, that's happy? People are, are being productive and they're enjoying themselves. As long as we preserve that, then Wikipedia can, can thrive and prosper. Whereas if we begin to see actually trolls are taking over or, you know, this, I mean, you can imagine the sorts of problems you might have, then you've got to be really vigilant and say, oh, what's causing that? But so far it's been, it's been quite good. So yeah, so far so good. That's interesting, actually. These modern uh, challenges uh, that come come with the internet. I mean, trolls are one, and then maybe another one. I heard you say you spoke the neutrality was a big thing uh, or a big big guiding principle. Uh, I guess first of all, how do you see neutrality? How do you reconcile neutrality? Uh, your thoughts around it, and and how does sort of practical application or supervision of that mm. work? What do you do? Where's well, the line? 
Yeah, I mean, I, I think, you know, most people have a pretty strong understanding of the concept, right? Which yeah. is to say, look, on any controversial wiki, on any controversial issue, Wikipedia itself shouldn't take a stand, but should present all of the reasonable sides fairly, um, you know? And so it's, you know, oftentimes in, in journalism, you'll see kind of a weak, uh, silly kind of neutrality. I always uh, make the joke of, you know, some say the moon is made of rocks and some say cheese, you know? It's like, that's not neutrality, really. That's fake just fairness. Fake fairness, right? But it is saying, okay, look, there are controversies in the world and we're not going to solve all those controversies and we have to treat them fairly and, and be thoughtful about it. <clears throat> and of course, these days, because we have the rise of very low quality uh, news outlets, uh, many of them incredibly biased uh, and, and, and not really serious about doing journalism, you do have to be vigilant. The community is very vigilant about those sort of things. But we have to be vigilant in ourselves to say, well, look, we shouldn't, we shouldn't exclude any media source because we disagree with its political stance. It's really about the quality of the work that they're producing. So, you know, if, they're, if, they're, if they've got all the right procedures in place and they're serious about dealing with corrections fairly, um, you know, and they're not sort of making things up and, and so on, then that's, th those are kind of really old fashioned things. But I think most people in, in real life and day to day life, most people understand that you say, oh, well, you know, which would you prefer to get your science news from? Would you rather get it from a peer reviewed academic journal? Or would you rather get it from a screaming headline in a tabloid newspaper? And probably most people would go, yeah, actually, yeah, please, I'll take the science, please. So yeah what other ways do you see you, we should improve the internet in and also maybe asking from the angle of, of many of our listeners as as we said it's it's a good time to to do something and and, and found something mm. and you don't need the perfect idea but but maybe also as inspiration yeah. on things to look at in the future yeah i mean uh, the, the things i'm currently working on currently looking at i'm really intrigued by uh by why by this, uh, here we are on Zoom, uh, we're, we're talking, uh, I can see you, you can see me. It's again, this is the sort of thing, this technology existed uh, for several years now, uh, but people weren't using Zoom for meetings all the time. Like now, uh, some people, I, I don't like meetings, so I try to stay off as much as possible, but my wife is on meetings all day long on Zoom. And that's different. In fact, it's to the point now where I saw that the number of minutes people are spending on Zoom has apparently just passed the number of minutes people spend on Facebook. So that's interesting. And I, I like to give this example though, what, okay, so what? That's just people having business meetings because they're stuck at home and can't go to work. But like my family, so we have a, a, wiki, a weekly quiz, uh, my, my family. So a different member of the family writes the quiz that week and then we meet once a week. And my mother's in her seventies and she's there every week and my sister and their kids and everybody. And it's like we have a family get-together every Sunday, which we could have been doing for years, and we weren't doing it for years, right? And I live in London, and my family lives in America, and so on. Now I see them every week. It's very regular. The point is not the quiz. The point is just hanging out together. The quiz just gives us something to do, so we're not just staring at each other. And, you know, it's fun. And I, I, when you think about what does social media really mean, I'm like, okay, that's, that's actually much more meaningful than... You know, I follow my sister on Instagram and she posts pictures of her dog and I click a heart, you know, I like, I like your picture of your dog. It's not, it's not really social. Social is we're on and we're joking and, and, you know, 
uh, we, we call it grandma points. If, uh, if you get an answer wrong, but you beg enough, mom might give you a point if, if your answer was funny. <laughs> I mean, it's just like that's, that's human interaction, right? That is something more social and a use of. So this is, this is actually that is one of the things I'm working on is a quiz app for video. Uh, but I'm working on all these kinds of ideas to say, let's move on. Let's, let's just say, you know what? Social media doesn't have to just be about clicking on like on things. It's actually about human beings interacting with each other. Uh, and hopefully in a in a healthier way, right? Like un unrehearsed and spontaneous. And is there is there is there a contradiction between the sort of spontaneity and the unrehearsedness of real social interaction and the way in which the sort of regular way in which or regularized way in which uh, these things are being monetized? <clears throat> you want to well, put I mean, things in a box, yeah, and put in a box. Yeah, I mean, I think what I think what's interesting is, uh, you know, if if you one of the things that that I, I think a lot about, I don't have, this is like me cutting edge thinking, and I'm, I'm not that smart actually, but I do think a lot. And uh, for me it's sort of, so this is not a new observation, but it's one I've been chewing on lately. Like we have kind of blurred on almost every platform, the difference between performative social activity and interactive. So performative meaning, you know, well, people, a lot of people post on Instagram and they are, influencers and they're trying to get a lot of followers and they are, you know, and they're trying to entertain us and so on. And th that can be perfectly fine. I'm, I'm not saying that's a bad thing, uh, but it's right there on the same feed with my sister posting a picture of her dog. And then I like it, which is much more interactive. My sister's not trying to get hundreds of followers. She's just sharing part of her life with her friends and family. And so the fact that we've blurred those two things under this big heading of social media, I think has sort of harmed our ability to think clearly about what are we trying to accomplish um, and how to grow these things in, in new and interesting ways. So if you think about, um, you know, something like uh, Zoom, it, it's mainly a bit of business tool. And it's boomed because of uh, the current coronavirus uh, circumstances. But as far as I can tell, Zoom is not trying to think about, oh, how do we get more influencers on the platform so that people can follow <laughs> and sign up to Zoom? It's, it's, it's not a thing they're thinking about. I mean, you could. There's no reason why you couldn't have some sort of a thing. But instead, they're they're just saying, okay, it's a communications tool, a platform. And they're, you know, when they look at new features, it's not how do we get people addicted to clicking and, and checking in every day to make sure their Zoom points are okay. No, it's just like it's useful. And the best way to sort of grow it is for people to say, yeah, actually, it's a great tool. I love I love using it. So yeah, I really hope they don't introduce Zoom points. That sounds like <laughs> yeah, yeah. nightmare. <laughs> well, this is you know actually if if we can talk for a little bit about gamification as yeah, a concept, please. which is yes. very very popular a few years back. People talk about it less, but and, and there's nothing inherently wrong with it, right? A gamification of certain things, you know, that can be fine. Particularly games. I think you should gamify games because games are good at you know it's like a game and there's a point and you try to get the points. But gamification, I always said to people like, they say, oh, why don't you do some kind of point system in Wikipedia and gamification of Wikipedia? And I'm like, you know what? If you think about, imagine that you went to work in an office and you have to wear a badge and every day there's a number there that tells how many people like you or don't like you. Like that just seems like dystopia. It sounds horrible, right? We know genuine human interactions are not about how many follows you have and how many likes or dislikes. And in fact, you know, oftentimes it's just like human 
complexity. Not everybody likes everybody and, and there's interesting frictions. And then, you know, there's this, this person, they do really great work, but you know, don't get them started on politics because honestly it's their total bore. Like that's, that's the reality of human interactions. And so this idea of reducing things down to a metric to kind of induce people to make that number go up um, is not always healthy and, and it can be overused in a way that, that is, creates bad incentives for people to, to behave in, in like really weird and stupid ways. Right. Isn't the tricky thing there that these games kind of exist, a lot of games exist in an unspoken way, in an unconscious way, and then, but this is just a way of sort of, I don't want to use the word weaponizing, but I guess I'm gonna, like, <laughs> it's, it's maybe not like bad, weaponizing. Yeah, it's yeah. not a bad way to put it. I mean, everybody knows, like we all know, if you, if you work with a group of people, um, it's actually, it is, it does matter that you are good at social interactions and that people like you because you can get things done that way. And if people dislike you, they're not going to help you and so on and so forth. And that's a real, that's human. That's a real part of human interaction. But by sort of making it open incentives with numbers attached to it, then yeah, weaponizes it. It, it means, you know, I'm going to give you a demerit because everybody's going to see and you're going to have a down point. And, you know, it's like, that's not healthy. Right. In no. fact, you know, it's, it's, it's sort of very toxic. Um, saying at the same time, you know, it's fine in certain contexts, right? Uh, if, if it's, um, you know, if, if it is a game, then yeah, okay, it's fine. People have fun sort of being uh, rowdy with each other. So. Right. Like, is it the other extreme of that, like removing all elements of any real game or any real, uh, like, uh, I mean, I guess the stereotype here is giving a participation trophy, trophy to everyone who is participating in a tournament <laughs> yeah. and not ranking the, yeah, the winners, yeah. even though the kids know that who won and who scored the goal. Uh, yeah, that's yeah, the yeah, other yeah, side. yeah. And it can be a bit silly. It can be a bit silly. Yeah. Well, like when I talk about my, uh, like my family's weekly Zoom um, pub quiz, Honestly, it's it's not even about the the game, right? Uh, mom makes up points and gives them out for silly answers, and you know, like right. it's really it's just a social thing. It's a social interaction, and and I'll, actually, a lot of the best games in in recent years that I like, for example, like uh, I don't know if you've heard of Cards Against Humanity. Yeah. Yes. Um, it's hilarious, but the point <laughs> of the game so has nothing to do with the points, right? It's just like a group of friends, and you've got this artifact to play with together. And you see who's going to say something that's actually hysterical and outrageous, and you end up in tears laughing so hard. And it's not about, you know, oh, now we're going to go into a competition and earn more points and have a have a tournament, right? It's just not about that. Yeah. And you're, when, and, uh, sorry, William, no, sorry. go ahead. No, uh, just, um, no, but I think it's very, very interesting. And, and like social media hasn't been around for that long still at the end of the day, mm. and it's kind of gotten away from us in a way. But uh, you mentioned in the, in the beginning of the episode that you're building WT, social and, and trying to mm. to do your own take on that yeah. and maybe before we end that would be interesting to hear about because that's something we've been discussing uh quite quite a long time that why isn't mm. why isn't this being challenged in a proper way yeah well i mean i think i think there's a lot of really hard problems and uh i'm approaching it in several different ways one of the ways i'm approaching it isn't released yet which is i'm really looking at how can we use interactive video in a new way and think about what is social interaction around that uh, being. There's a, a friend of mine has something called the Interintellect Salon, and she invites different, clever, interesting people to, to have a conversation, and they do it on a Zoom call, and she gets like 25 people at the same time. And, um, you know, it's not yet a big scalable thing, but I find that very interesting that that's, okay, that's actually a different, uh, and people pay, I don't know, like $10 or something to, to go on it. Um, I'm like, that's actually interesting, right? That's a new form of social interaction 
that sounds pretty healthy to me as compared to trying to get more followers on, on social media. So cool. Yeah, maybe this could be like the new, uh, I mean, we were doing podcasting and in while back people, I mean, back in the TV days when uh, news cycles were uh, were very short and news inserts were, were very short and, and people were talking about attention spans and everything and everyone said no one's going to want to listen to a three-hour episode uh, of, of a podcast and people, just the cynical view of, of, of mm. human interaction rose up. Maybe the same thing is going on with, uh, with social media. Right now it seems that the incentives, uh, the algorithm algorithms are pushing the incentives and defining the incentives but maybe there's some there's some part of the human soul still mm. there longing yeah, yeah, for yeah. that realness i mean uh, yeah for sure and, and podcasts have done very well with, with longer in-depth things um you know it's it's a funny thing because the human mind is is so multifaceted that we we want uh lots of different things uh sometimes at the same time sometimes contradictorily so what we want, we want, if, if you say, what do you want to know about the election? You say, well, I really want to go and read a Wikipedia article and learn all the issues and, and what the candidates stand for. And people do actually want that. They also want to rant on Twitter. Um, I want to watch, well, I mean, we see huge success from long form, uh, very high quality television shows, right? So now there's, it's the golden age of television, in my opinion, there's so much fantastic stuff being made. Um, and that's long form, sort of extended drama, very complicated. At the same time, uh, TikTok is massive, right? And that's, uh, you couldn't get more fluffy and, you know, just flick to the next. Um, it's always girls dancing, I don't know why, but um, that's what's popular on TikTok. <laughs> and, um, you know, so, that, and I, I don't necessarily think either of those is invalid, right? Um, one thing is, you know, it, you're bored for a few minutes in a taxi, so you jump on TikTok and want, I like the cooking videos to be, and, and they're smart. They figured out a lot of cooking videos. So, so they showed me a lot of those and then girls dancing. But, um, and then, uh, they, at the same time, I want to watch, you know, long form, like serious drama. So. Yeah, no, exactly. Um, it's, it's, uh, it's interesting. It's not, it's not that easy <laughs> at the end of the day, but, no, uh, we no. look forward to, to following all your projects and what you come up with Lovely. next. And, and, uh, thank you for creating Wikipedia. <laughs> I mean, that's yes, great. That's yep, fantastic. Thing. Yeah, I have to say that the internet would not be the same without Wikipedia. I'm so happy oh, it exists. Oh, that's very kind of you. Very <laughs> kind of you. Thank you. And thank you to all the viewers and listeners also for joining in. Uh, you comment what your favorite Wikipedia article in is, and we'll see you in the next episode. <laughs> Brilliant. <laughs> Bye. All right. Fantastic. Thanks, thank guys. Thank you, Jimmy. Have a nice day. Yeah. Bye. I hope you enjoyed your visit to that conversation as much as we did. Now... If you want to stay updated and keep in touch with us, please subscribe to us on YouTube, follow us on Spotify, subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts and all other podcast platforms. We're also on Twitter, Instagram, and then Facebook. You guessed it, Soap by Slush. Thank you people for listening. Bye-bye.